What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you this morning? Good morning. Uh, yeah, healthy alive, doing well. That's had had stiff. Uh, not really sore. But Is that from stiff. painting? Is that from painting? Yeah, yeah. I found that um, when you're painting the ceiling. Um, using the extension pole is yeah. um, tedious. If you take that off and use a stepladder or something and just use the roller itself, you have a lot more control and a lot more um, agility with it. And uh, it also tires you out a bit more as well because <laughs> you can apply more force. And so that is true. I, I just don't like painting in general. I, I think it's uh, agreed. I think it's such a pain, literally. And you're you're yeah. just confirming that it's literally a pain. It's, a pain. <laughs> it's literally a pain. Yeah. So I mean, I'm almost done though. I mean, uh, I just have to do a second coat and the trim, and then all done for now. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, I'm glad you're uh, glad you're getting that uh, knocked out, and you've got some new carpet coming in soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the latest it'll be in is, uh, nine days from now. So that's good. Uh, here's that's good. We should be, uh, we should be in full blown lunacy level, uh, by that time. That's uh, true. With, with everything that's going on. And when I say lunacy, I, I mean, we're going to talk about some crazy stuff this afternoon, but this morning, Pelosi got reelected as speaker of the house. This is going to be her last term, by the way, she's not going to make it anymore after this, but this is going to be her. She may not live that long. She might. I mean, that's why I said this is going to be her last time. Yes, this is going to be yeah. her last time. Have you seen her? Have you seen her in the last couple of days? I mean, my God, yeah. man. She looks wretched. I mean, she looks like something that crawled out of the crypt somewhere. I mean, it looked, well, she looks bad. Well, she can't get her injections, right? She can't get her Botox and whatnot. No, she can't get the Botox. You know, right? no, no elective surgeries. Yeah, yeah. And when she talks, man, it sounds like it's a struggle to keep her teeth in there anyway. But so, <laughs> She sounds drunk all the time. She does sound drunk all the time. She sounds like she's had a fifth of whiskey before she gets in front of a camera. <laughs> she does. Honey, honey, you need to get the polydent, right? And get you a sh- get a shot in you before you get in front of CNN, okay? <laughs> so she has done something just off the wall crazy. I mean, she a lot of things she's done is off the wall crazy. We talked yesterday about her house getting vandalized, but now she's done something else. She's banned mother and father and uh and daughter and and all that stuff from uh from the house or or something is that is that right point of personal privilege Uh, sorry yeah go ahead please do not use gendered language to to address everyone okay all right i apologize i'm just just repeating what's happened in the u.s house of representatives is that is that right so essentially yeah they're they're attempting to do this they haven't officially done it yet that i can see um, uh, the, the house speaker is attempting to excise all references to either sex and house, uh, business to honor all gender identities and promote inclusion and diversity. On Monday, the house of representatives is set to vote on a rules package for the 117th Congress, which Pelosi and rules committee chairman, James McGovern promise will be the most inclusive in history. So what <laughs> we haven't been inclusive before. I mean, uh, directly uh, addressing someone by their sex is 
inappropriate or so i don't i i I don't get it this is i also heard that she wasn't going to seat members of the house that weren't wearing masks did you hear that too i did i did hear that and um where i'm i'm i obviously i'm gonna have to look at the the authority of the speaker of the house but uh pretty sure you don't have the authority to uh not seat someone that is an elected official uh just just saying that that's kind of out of your purview is my understanding but well, hell she doesn't care obviously I have to look none of them care it. no she doesn't no what well, you want to know is, uh, you, you want to know what they're going to replace the words with yeah um oh, i'm so, afraid to ask is it going to be like <laughs> golden dragon or or bottle uh, of, of benadryl or something i don't know uh no no it's, it's um the the words that they're going to replace are things like he she mother father you know parent uh, daughter you know, all that son daughter whatever so he or she will be uh replaced with the grammatically incorrect uh they or them right um, so let me get this straight. We're now taking the personal pronouns to the U.S. Congress. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's so basically what when they like. when they stand up, then it's going to be like the DSA meeting where they have to speak their pronoun and then they can talk uh, that that that's that's what I'm, I'm wondering. Um, they're they're also saying that um, if they don't use the they plural as a singular, then they're required to use um, uh, such member delegate or resident commissioner. Um, I wouldn't use any of that stuff. I tell every last one of you to drop dead and I would move on about my business. I might. Okay. So I might actually use those, one of those, one or two of those terms just because not, not because it's anything other than I just like playing with words sometimes. So let me get this straight. So we're not going to use, yeah, we're not going to use my esteemed colleague or madam or sir any longer in in the proper terms like we've always done. My esteemed colleague would still uh, be acceptable, I think, uh, but not sir, madam. I, I don't think those are are um, acceptable anymore. Uh, they're they're also wanting to you know change things like mother and father to parent. Aunt and uncle will be replaced with um, great phrases like parents sibling. Oh wow! And uh, grandmother and grandfather will be replaced with grandparent. Uh huh. So, so uh huh. Uh, okay. Do, do you want to know what a mental illness looks like on on a national scale? This right here. Oh, and by the way, uh, you know how they do prayer at the end or beginning or whatever it is when they uh-huh. first start this. You know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You you end a prayer with a man. Correct. And a woman. Excuse me. Yeah. The the prayer ended with amen. And a woman. Uh, no, no, you you say you you complete the prayer and you say amen. Right, which means let it be or so be it. Correct. Whereas which is the woman, end of a prayer. Yes, but but men is in the word, so it's gendered. You see. Oh, for so God's so we we have to include. Oh. This is what's this is what's so baffling. Uh, shall I say the whole damn thing's a, baffling? Well, yes. Why? Why are you saying "amen"? Right? Why? Why are you replacing it with or adding to a woman? That's only two genders. I, I thought we were supposed to be inclusive and not do genders now. So, wouldn't you replace "amen" with something else, or just leave the word alone because the the meaning apparently is 
well, no, we have to change our traditions. Uh, I believe I actually have that. And Barack knows that we are going to have to make sacrifices. Uh -huh. We are going to have to change our conversation. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to have to change our traditions, uh -huh. our history. Uh -huh. We're going to have to move into a different place okay. uh, as a nation to provide the kind of future that we all want desperately for our children. I see. Uh, and he is the man to do it. Uh, he's the man to do it. You hear that? See, Bruce, this is, this is for the children because they desperately need it for the children children. Just by hearing her say that, she said that in 2008. Are we yeah. there? Are we there? We're there. Oh, uh, the bit I was going to say, uh, make sacrifices, right? Oh, make sacrifices. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You were just made, held at gunpoint, essentially, to make sacrifices, closing down your businesses, not going to work, losing your livelihood. Yeah. If it saves just one life. By the way, the new CDC numbers came out today. We're going to gather all those up. We're going to go over them this week. Uh, but not really much to get excited about when it comes to that. They they came out with the death numbers for 2020, but we did a snapshot of 2020 all the way back to 2010. And guess what? Shocking revelation. We're right where we should be. 0.8% yeah. death rate for the entire year. Yeah. So to give a little bit more on that, we'll, we'll kind of have to go over the numbers to get the exact figures and whatnot. But we went over these numbers uh, in early December. It's actually been one month ago at the time of this recording. And at that time, we were below the numbers of last year. Well, GP and I were going over the numbers. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have them in front of me to, to go over them or I would. But from the time that we went over those numbers released by the CDC till um, the last numbers were released, there was something like 300,000 deaths that were added to it, or, or 300 and some thousand, I believe is what it was, to get it to that 0.8%. Um, it, um, it basically equated out to being uh, somewhere in the range of 12,000 deaths a day, which is not only not didn't happen, but that is uh, like 150% of what it actually is. And that's where we got the number to get, you know, the, the, the higher number. So anyway, yeah, we're going to have to gather all that up because I, I'd be interested to have that conversation on where all of those things have uh, have gone uh, as far yeah. as like, you know, looking at other years and things like that, how we can compare them uh, and contrast each one. So <laughs> because uh, if you turn on any any news network, you look at any newspaper, there's so much death everywhere and there, there's infected people laying all over the place. And, and the UK, right, the UK is going back. It, of course, we we were talking about it uh, last night. The UK, they're going back into a full lockdown, just like last March, because once you start going around and you take a look at the empty hospitals and you start showing that to the world and it goes viral and they got to shut that down. But mm -hmm. we're not going to we're not going to get into that now. We'll have uh, I, I was just I was literally while you were talking there, I was literally just uh, texting Marty and uh, he says he'll be back on this week and we're going to get into it. But uh, let's talk some marriage statistics. A new study of U.S. marriage statistics shows a dramatic decline in marriage rates since the onset of the pandemic. So the last 12 months, a new study of marriage statistics has found that marriage rates in four representative regions in the United States have dropped between 26% and 44% since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm sure it's the same all over the world. And you know why this is. I'll just I'll just sum this up in a nutshell. People don't want to be around each other all the time like that. People have to be able to live their lives together, but separately in some cases. You have to be able you have to be able to to live and to go places and to be with people. We are social creatures. We're not meant to be isolated like this. Some people can handle it, but it takes a very 
select few to be able to cope with it properly. Many academic and media reports have examined divorce rate statistics during the pandemic, yet researchers know much less about how the pandemic has affected marriage rates. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. All you have to do is look at the numbers or either that or they're not married themselves. A new study looked at the number of marriage certificates issued in Florida. And Florida, by the way, that's one of the states that's been open uh, through a lot of this. Uh, And Hawaii, and they've been one of the states that have been the most closed. Uh, From March until the end of July, and in the Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington metropolitan area, from March until the end of August. Tomorrow, Bruce, I want to talk about Dallas a little bit, because some new things are happening down in Dallas. They're going the Seattle and the Portland route, and the Los Angeles and San Francisco route about uh, uh, the police department. So I want to talk tomorrow a little bit about Dallas. Don't let me forget. Uh, I want to pop that up there. Yeah. 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 They also looked at the number of marriage applications in the Seattle metropolitan region until the end of September, as marriage applications are a leading indicator of marriages in the near future. Together, these four regions account for about 10.4% of the population in the U.S. The researchers used both statewide and metropolitan area data to account for the fact that most of the early COVID-19 cases occurred in large urban areas. Gee, I wonder why. They chose Florida and Hawaii because those states capture two extremes in COVID-19 responses. As I said, one's open, one's not. Florida was late to announce the stay-at-home orders and early to begin reopening. Hawaii, in contrast, was quick to introduce quarantines, but reopened very slowly. So Florida has about 3,450 COVID cases per 100,000 residents, which is pretty high nationally if you if you look at it. Uh, Hawaii has about 970 cases per 100,000 uh, being, well, that's, that's probably the low end of the spectrum uh, nationally. The research team picked Dallas, Fort Worth and Seattle because they're both major U.S. metropolitan areas. So the country's fourth and the 15th largest. Each location, they compared 2020 data to the same period in 2019, which takes the seasonal variation into account. So they were able to extrapolate that data and get an accurate reading on it. So uh, the, the rates of 2020, the past year, showed a, a dramatic decrease as compared to 2019. The results showed uh, a, dec- uh, a decrease in year-to-date cumul- cumulative marriages in 2020 compared to 2019 in the areas studied. So the Florida drop in the number of new marriages began in March, and that trend increased a little bit until the end of July, which is when they ended that study. But by the end of July, there were two, th- or there were twenty three thousand six hundred and twenty seven fewer marriages in Florida than in twenty nineteen. So that was a twenty six percent decrease. The results in Hawaii were about the same, uh, where the decrease are, started to go ahead. These are new marriages, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. These are not divorces. These are new marriages. Right. Right. New marriages. The divorce rates, I think you probably find uh, similar numbers in the opposite direction. They wouldn't be decreasing. They'd be increasing. Well, it would it would decrease in the beginning of the year because you can't go anywhere to get the divorce. Well, that's true. Uh, and then it would pick up. Yeah. So Hawaii, uh, by July, there had been 5,183 fewer marriages than in 2019, which is a 44% drop. So much of the drop was attributed to destination weddings. You know, the people that jet off to Hawaii to get married. Yeah, sure. Uh, Those are usually by non-residents. But marriage rates in Hawaii residents also showed a similar decrease. Uh, So the comparable pattern emerged in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That was near the end of August of this past year. And there had been 9,410 fewer marriages than during the same period in 2019, which was a 27% drop. And in Seattle which there's a new documentary out, by the way. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, The study found that marriage applications by the end of September had dropped by 3,060 compared to 2019, a 15% drop. Okay, Seattle. Do you remember there was a documentary on YouTube out there a while ago, or uh, like a year ago called Seattle is Dying? Do you remember that? 
I remember, yeah, I, I okay. do remember something about that. The same group of people got together and they created another documentary that's an hour and a half long. It's on YouTube. I would encourage people to go watch it. And it's current. It's only been up there for a few days now. Uh, and it, it's it's current and it's very well done, uh, though I don't agree with a lot of the, um, uh, the, the so-called uh, solutions that they put forth in there. But uh, a lot of them I do. And I think that they really hit the nail on the head, but they still tried to you could see where they tried to stay within the confines of political correctness uh, in doing it because it was put together by uh, I think it was a local ABC affiliate out there. You know how they are. They kind of have to. But yeah, it's called uh, Seattle, a fight for, or a fight for Seattle's soul. I'm sorry. It's a fight for Seattle's soul. Uh, and it was put together by uh, Como News, K-O-M-O News. Like I said, I think it's a local ABC affiliate out there, but um, they did a fantastic job with it. Please, please go on YouTube and give it a watch. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary about what's going on out there. It's not really talked about. Uh, it's basically, it's a failed social experiment is all they're doing out there. They've basically decriminalized everything. Businesses are shut down. The place is just, it's going to abject hell. Uh, and the people out there say it. They say it outright. They say, this is hell. This is hell. And they go through the whole thing with uh, with the whole chop and the Chaz thing and all, and all that stuff. They talk to residents that were down there that were in there at the time. I mean, it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. But it sheds light on the type of uh, the progressive ideology that's out there that's so destructive and diabolical. Uh, and it's it, it's just it, it's ridiculous. And the, the way that they just the local prosecutor out there, the, the D.A. out there who just turns these people loose. It, it's disgusting. Disgusting. Uh, and what happens to you if you're a judge? And you decide you're going to hand down some actual justice on a criminal. Watch what happens to you. Really, go give it a watch. The fight for the soul of Seattle is what it's called. So they ask the question in this thing, back to the marriage rates. They ask the question in this thing. They say, why the decline in marriage rates? I think it's pretty obvious. They talk about all kinds of stuff in here. They say, uh, well, they, they did research into the impacts of disasters on marriages. They did uh, some studies that have found increases uh, in marriage rates after uh, earthquakes and things like that. But no one really bothered to study the opposite of it. They're looking at the actual pandemic side of things. Uh, and they say that it's led to an increase in relationship conflict uh, and reduced sexual activity. Again, people don't want to be around each other all the time like this. We're not designed to do that. Can you imagine being, say, like a, a three bedroom apartment or two or three bedroom apartment in Manhattan with uh, your spouse and three screaming kids during all this? Can you imagine? Well, I mean, I, I can't imagine not. kids. I mean, uh, myself and my spouse, sure. I mean, but I don't think there would be a divorce involved either. But eh. like I said, though, it takes a very unique individual to be able to cope with prolonged isolation like that. That's all they're doing is they're they're isolating people and trying to get you dependent on them. They're trying to take away your sense of hope and self-reliance and put it in the trust of them. And, and they're they're <laughs> to be honest with you, if you were going to take over the world and, and you wanted to bankrupt everybody, don't you think you would do a little bit better job than this? Seriously, don't you think you do a little bit better job than this? Man, you people are blowing it. You guys are acting like it's amateur hour at the local comedy club with this thing. And it's it's laughable. It's laughable. But the pandemic has also created uncertainty in terms of income, employment and housing, all of which they're going to take care of. Right. Right. Universal basic income. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As long as you do what they say, mm -hmm. then you get all that. Uh, all of these aspects can lead people to postpone marriage. Of course, if you're not financially secure, if you're worried about, um, you know, employment or housing or things like that, of course. So, yeah, why would you do something like that with all the unknowns? Likewise, lockdown related policies in many places have limited large social gatherings such as weddings. Right. I'm actually Bruce. Did I tell you I'm going to a wedding at the end of this month? I, I heard rumor of this. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, I got it. I got the invites a couple of days ago. I'm going to be attending and there's going to be a large group of people there, mm-hmm. but it's all going to be virtual. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be cheaper, right? <laughs> it is. And to be honest with you, you can attend from everywhere. I mean, a good friend of mine of many years is uh, getting married to uh, to the girl he loves and uh, they're getting married in Ohio. And obviously I'm not there at the moment. So I was invited to the wedding. He says, oh, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Because it's going to be a a small personal family gathering anyway. Uh, I mean, I know the people that are going to be there. But um, he says, no, 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 we're going to do this uh, virtually because everybody's spread out all over the place. We're just going to do it virtually anyway. So I got an invite and it's, yeah, I'm going to be there. Uh, I will be in here uh, podcasting before because uh, the wedding actually at this time at the end of the month is right when the wedding is going to be going on. So I will be in here to podcast before. But then I'm going to have to go right after that uh, and switch over. But um, ironically, even okay, ironically, if the the pandemic wasn't going on, you know, let's take that out of the picture, right, and just say there was no pandemic. Um, having a small gathering of your family and then the other people that want to attend that you don't have room for, and having a, a digital, you know, medium to to broadcast it on. Uh, I, I, honestly, I think that's a good idea. You know. It is a good idea. And I know some people that have actually done that before, uh, pre all this stuff. I mean, if you wanted to attend, uh, they would mm-hmm. they would do it a certain way. I think this is not going to be Zoom. It's going to be done on, um, I think, Google Meets or Microsoft Teams. I can't remember which one it is, uh, but it's one of those two uh, platforms. I, I can't remember which one, but I'd have to go back and look at the invite. But uh, that's what it's going to be. And I, I'm looking forward to see how it's going to go. Uh, and and I, I hope that uh, obviously, I, I mean, I hope that, um, you know, it's a special day for them, of course. But I'm curious as to how this is actually going to work. Is everybody going to be in the same screen? Is it uh, I mean, if it's like a Zoom call, then I assume that it's, it's going to be like that. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't use Zoom because it's, it's run by the Chinese. But uh, I'm assuming it's it, going to be like a like a TV show is what I'm I'm, assuming. I, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing it'll be like a live stream somewhere and you just be able to yeah. uh, to go in and it'd be like a private thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that I'm going to be running a, a private uh, conference on the side uh, with voice uh, and video so we can actually, you know, so we can talk amongst ourselves right. while it's going on. Right, right. And I've already clued in the uh, uh, the people that I know to that. I say, OK, well, we're going to be running a private call on the side uh, to, <laughs> to be able to talk to each other with video so we can while we're watching, you know, we'll be on the same uh-huh. screen. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, so. The closure of government offices, as you said, right, that's also that also plays a factor. So if you can't go anywhere, well, then obviously you're not going to be able to get married. Mm -hmm. But more than that, if the government office is closed, then you're not going to be able to get a marriage certificate, are you? Kind of a problem. Uh, uh, honestly, though, do we really need the government involved in your marriage? No, no, that's that's it. That's a vow you take with your spouse, with your church and with God. That's what it's Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, it's a contract between you and your spouse and God. So, um, you know, anyway, call us old fashioned, Bruce. See, we're we're that old fashioned generation that just doesn't matter anymore. That's that's all it is. You know, we're we're out of touch. We're out of touch. We don't know how things really are. We we don't we don't understand the world Mm -hmm. these days. Mm Uh, so anyway, it just goes on down with more statistics and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, they're they're off the charts. Divorce rates are off the charts as well. They're, they're off the charts as well. You would see the. I think we were looking at the same numbers. I think thirty four percent, thirty four to forty percent, somewhere along in there, was the statistic we saw for twenty nineteen leading up to twenty twenty. But I would imagine when they come out uh, later on this year for twenty twenty, that's going to be even higher. So we'll have to take a look at that uh, when that happens. All right, last couple of minutes here. Let's jump over to. Uh, uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I know nothing about these things, right? These uh, 
these cryptocurrencies. I know nothing about them. How on earth do these things work? The only thing I know is, is that Bitcoin has been going up. It hit 35,000 yesterday. And then of course, it's dropped off a little bit today. It dropped 13% today. It's back down to 29. How in the world do these things work? Because I really don't know. It's basically uh, a commodity. So think of it more akin to like stock market stuff. That's how it's, it is technically a currency, but no, it's, it's passed off as a commodity. That's why it's legal to trade in it. And it's all done through uh, what's called blockchain. And the blockchain is essentially how the authentication system works to make sure that it's actually you interacting with the account and everything and the Bitcoin transactions and all that. So and blockchain is just a large amount of servers that when you log in, essentially, it checks it with all those servers, at, and and the majority of those servers have to sign off and say, "Yeah, this is actually the person." Before you can actually get access to it, so it, basically, that makes it more secure because if you want to, as a hacker, hack into the system, you would have to hack hundreds of servers at the same time to get in. Yeah, and you would have to be able to hack the majority of those at the exact moment. Okay, I, I get the blockchain part of it because they use that technology in other aspects. So I, I get the blockchain part of it. That part I understand. That and that's that's a very secure thing. And honestly, I think blockchain in the future will be part of the way to go. But Mm -hmm. the thing that I that I wonder about is when it comes to Bitcoin. Okay, so it's a Mm -hmm. form of currency, but you say it's traded like a commodity. Okay, fine. So it's like gold or silver, something like that. So it's a form of currency, but yet at the same time, it's also a commodity. Right. So how do you control if your Bitcoin, I'm assuming it's 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 not just a person anymore. Now it's a it's an entity in and of itself. How do you control how much is in the market mm. how does that work because it's if it's like yeah. if it's like money or any commodity you have to have a certain amount and then you give a value to that amount that's in the market and as mm-hmm. it becomes more scarce and there's a higher demand for it then obviously the price is going to go up so how right. do you control how much is in the marketplace so uh, with bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies there's an algorithm and this algorithm basically in the early days this is back when the the there was stories of a guy that bought like one pizza, like a large pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin, which back then it was Bitcoin. Where was, is he? I'll sell know. him a pizza right now. I'll make it myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I bet you he's kicking himself now, but I'll bet you um, he is too. Basically, the algorithm you would you would um, nowadays the algorithms are are processed by graphics cards. So you you um, set up a system with multiple graphics cards that run this algorithm, and uh, when the uh, algorithm is correctly calculated, you get a Bitcoin. This is but, why we saw graphics cards skyrocket because when we were looking yes. at graphics cards to to do video work, we're like, "What the hell's going on? Why are these graphics cards? What they were three hundred dollars? Why are they now like twelve hundred? Yes, uh, that is exactly why. And the algorithm every time it's calculated gets more complicated. So eventually the algorithm will get to the point to where there's a computational limit. You won't be able to calculate it because the computer cannot actually physically handle it. It will it will run out of memory essentially. So until we get more powerful computers, that's going to be or figure out a new way to run this algorithm, um it's essentially going to hard cap the money or really I guess this is soft cap. So the currency Bitcoin has a soft cap of X amount. So that's more or less how you you regulate it uh, in, in the markets. And as the algorithm gets more complicated, it takes longer to process one cycle. So in the early days, you could make a lot of Bitcoin in the early days because the algorithm is easy. 
and they actually back then you didn't even need uh, a, a really powerful computer. Um, there was uh, in the early days uh, video games that came out that had um, a uh, basically it was running the algorithm in the background that the the person didn't know about, and the Bitcoin was being sent to the video game developer. <laughs> there was a couple of those that uh, uh, came up that. Um, was on uh, one of them was on steam actually but anyway nowadays it, it takes a, a pretty big server farm and it's essentially more expensive to run the servers that you need to, to earn one bitcoin it's more expensive than what the bitcoin is worth uh basically so it's kind of reached its limit it's, if you will. yeah it's counterproductive now at this point because you'd be putting in yeah. more into it than what it would actually get a return on so your roi would just be in the in the tank Right, exactly. I see. All right. Well, I tell you what, as time progresses, I'm sure cryptos are going to be more popular in the future. I mean, they've really gained a lot in popularity, uh, especially with the government money printing over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. You know, we've thrown like, what is it now, 12 trillion at this problem. So, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. All right. uh, We're out of time this morning, so we are going to have to go. But uh, thank you for sitting down this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. And I hope everyone has a great morning. 